Welcome to the Evolution Exchange podcast, uh, where we bring together the best technical leaders to talk about the industry passions and challenges that they are facing. My name is Dylan Crowley uh, from Evolution Recruitment Solutions. Uh, we help businesses connect with top tech talent, and today I will be your podcast host. Today, we are going to be discussing the topic of startup to scale up. Uh, so I've got four guests with me. Uh, thank you all very much for joining me. Uh, so I'm joined by Wojciech Joel, uh, Abhishek Kapadia, uh, Joel Jemvi, and Oliver Gray. Uh, before we delve deeper into the topic, uh, we'll just start off working our way around with a couple of introductions. Um, so, Wojciech, I'll, I'll start with yourself. Um, could you just tell me a little bit about yourself and, and your company and your role? I'm engineering manager at Alpha Group, and we recently uh, went through transition from, from sc- uh, startup to scale-up. Uh, we are based in London, but also have offices across the world. Uh, so, yeah. Perfect. Thank you. And Oliver, yourself? Yeah, hello there, Dylan. Um, I'm a senior engineering manager at Trustpilot, where I've been since February this year. But prior to that, I worked at Hopin, which is a hypergrowth uh, startup to scale up for two years back, uh, sort of during COVID, which was uh, exciting times. Perfect. And Abhishek? Hey, um, so I'm Abhishek. I'm engineering manager and technical architect at Debris. Um, so I've had around 18 years of experience uh, in the industry, and I've had the fortune of working and and. All, all companies of all sizes, like everything from multinationals down to uh, SMBs and and startups. So yeah, perfect. And finally, Joel yourself. Hi everybody. Uh, so I'm Joel Jemby. I'm the head of development at Big Change. Uh, previously been uh, head of engineering at uh, Push Technology, now Division Data as well. Before that, uh, software engineer for about 15 years. Um, done roles in software architecture. Covered up through taking on the management challenge. Um, and I really kind of specialize in that niche of taking companies through that transition from startup into scale up. Perfect. Well, yeah. Um, obviously, the way we work the podcast is we've asked each uh, guest to provide us with one question that they wanted to ask the rest of the panel. Um, and then we'll go around individually, get some answers off each of you and uh, allow the conversation to form itself. Um, so now that we're introduced, we'll move on to the topic in focus. Um, so the topic that we have discussed, as mentioned, uh, is around taking a company from startup into the scale up. Um, so yeah, we'll walk, work around the room, um, mention the topic you put forward, and just if you could just mention your reasons behind asking that particular question, and then I'll provide each of you with the opportunity to give your take on each question. Um, so Joel, I'm going to start with your question if, if we can. Um, so your question was, how do people manage the characters who make good startup staff into the characters who will then make the best scale up staff? Um, so just wondered if, if you could give us sort of the, the reasoning behind that um, and perhaps any of your previous experience with that. Absolutely. So uh, good advice that I got many, many years ago from the, um, the chairman and director at eDigital Research when I worked there. If you take care of the people, everything else will take care of itself. And that's an ethos that I've always tried to live by. Um, startups are very fast paced, moving environments. Um, a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of hard work, a lot of crunch that goes into making those successful and getting through that barrier, which flushes out a lot of startups and uh, those that don't succeed. But then when you get into that scale up challenge, the profile of people you need and the approach they have to take is markedly different. And sometimes our challenge becomes how do we take the people that are already in the company, mold them into people that we need to be, bring the right people on board what happens when you meet resistance to that change as well. Perfect. So uh, if we can, Oliver, I'll throw that run um, to you first. I just wanted to get your sort of thoughts on that and and what your opinions would be on on how that would work. Uh, yeah, certainly. Um, so I think uh, 
as Joe was saying, you, you've got this transition for, uh, and specifically engineers from my experience, for, from startup to scale up. Um, I think what you have to make sure you don't lose is sort of creative freedom. The people who've worked in this startup culture are used to sort of doing their own things, um, you know, working for the company, probably going away, coming back and saying like, do you like this new feature, this new demo I've put together? As you scale up, things tend to be more planned, right? So you, you got to be able to find places for these people. Um, for example, like keeping them in a sort of innovation department or an R&D department where they get to do that kind of thing. So that's probably come some of the skills they're really good at. Um, then you also need to let them grow with the company, right? Like, so sometimes they will be able to go up to like engineering manager or across to staff engineer or something like that as they, uh, um, you know, get used to the new new people joining the company, I imagine. Um, yeah, so those, I think, are my two biggest things to, to keep in mind. Perfect. Um, and Abhishek, I just wanted to get your thoughts as well. Um, so in general, that kind of situation, I found that um, uh, the, the best way to do it is actually by uh, to lead by example. Um, so it kind of takes a bit longer, like you're the only one sort of doing it, championing any process changes, anything of that sort. But then uh, once it settles in, it tends to be a lot more natural. People understand why things have happened and it's not just a matter of they're being reached, um, you know, uh, a solution. They must follow it, that sort of thing. Um, uh, uh, sometimes this, if the budget allows the hiring people with, with the, already within that mindset kind of helps um, sort of bolster that as well so you have more than one person setting the example as well um and uh, i found what is it's just felt this was important to, to note because i've noticed this happened before is uh it's, it's really important to be hands-on during this transition so uh, if you go in and say like this is what's happening hire a bunch of people who are going to do the thing it's actually really easy for that to uh the, the track to be lost uh like it, it'll go off track is because you're going to need an anchor uh of the person and it's usually yourself because you're the one making the change um, uh, to make sure that um, uh, any patterns being set into place and anything are not sort of lost um, as, as, as time goes on. Perfect. And, and Wojciech? I would just add to, 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 to what the guy said. Is, uh, it's quite often in the startup environment, um, people uh, and engineer may wear different hats. They may, uh, they may be uh, wear hats of developer, DevOps, architect, product owner, uh, and test at the same time. So sometimes the prospect of giving up some of, some of the, those responsibilities and moving towards more um, more narrow role could could be uh, could create a threat in a way. Uh, so um, so supporting this transition, showing the clear uh, clear uh, career progression path, uh, and basically support and and trying and and providing environment, safe environment. Uh, to potential, if the if that transition wouldn't be successful, then maybe maybe have a backup plan. And there is another aspect which I wanted to mention: is the transition from the small team to the big team create a a scenario when um, when on one hand individuals um, everyone knows everyone in the in the startup, and then all of a sudden individuals become a bit invisible, and that that could be tackled by maybe public uh, individual recognition or opportunity to present work to the wider business or some kind of team team shout out thank you perfect and joe um what, what are your kind of thoughts on other guys answers is that something that you you relate to with obviously i know this is your sort of area of expertise so um is that kind of you know relating to the previous experience that you have in this yeah i follow exactly what what everybody is saying there um lay out those those past or people find those opportunities um I was interested to know if anybody had actually you know, experienced the, the difficulty with people in the in the past going through that. 
it's quite often an emotive subject for people. You're going from some uh, environment where things may not be done particularly well, but they're done quickly. Uh, people have a lot of control over things to go into have a much narrower set of control over things. And people can resist against that. Uh, and if anybody had, without naming any names, any individuals that they'd had to work with through before any advice they'd give to someone who finds themselves with a a difficult personality to manage. I think I may uh, contribute towards it. It's, uh, it's basically providing in the transparency where those individuals would be on board with the transition, um, showing that the individual transition could be direct, could directly contribute to to the scale up process and the business growth. And and quite often in the startup, people are uh, rewarded to be with the startup, so there's incentive uh, uh, sort of uh, related to this. So if if the management can show that that is actually this action, this this transition is is actually necessary uh, for the business growth and potentially. Um, you know, better business prospect for the future. That 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 could be one of the key ingredient to to motivate that person and and, and to buy and get on board with that transition. I think that's a really good idea. Um, it's 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 got to have some kind of incentive for them personally. Uh, I've I've had a couple of experiences taking companies through these um, changes in the past where I have had characters like that, particularly in very senior positions, who just you know they see well-tested software going out, planned by product teams, delivered by software engineers that scale and other kind of things, throw their hands up and say, all of this feels wrong. It's going too slowly and there should be more productivity. And I don't really understand the things that are being done because I've got people employed over here now who have expertise that I don't. I mean, my one bit of advice to anybody is if you find someone with whom you have a difficult relationship like that, that's the person you need to spend the most time with. You know, when when you can't stand to be in the same room with someone, you're going to have to spend the most time in the room with that person. And it's the only way to help them to realize the value exactly as you're talking about, Voice. Uh, Perfect. Well, yeah, thank you all very much for your uh, input on that. Um, some really, really interesting takes and some kind of experiences that you guys have obviously had. Um, so I'll move on to the, the next question, uh, which was yours, Abhishek. Um, so you wanted to know, uh, at what point in the company's journey should a business start the process of evolving their development practices and strategy? Um, so just wanted to get your, again, similar to Joel, your, your take on asking that question, the reasoning sort of behind that and what you wanted to, to get out of it. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's actually, uh, I think like alluded to at the moment where, um, um, uh, uh, when you're in the startup phase, you're getting things out really quickly. Uh, there's a lot of um, what sometimes seems like productivity happening because there's lots of code being written, lots of changes happening, all of that uh, going on. But then once the once the startup starts moving up uh, uh, into the scale-up phase, you've got the growth happening, etc. Uh, the team starts getting bigger. You start seeing um, cracks in the in the previous process, I mean, like stuck more bugs and um, um, any of that sort. So um, it's just, uh, I guess, the, the motivation of the question there is um, uh, when the is is there a particular point you do this? Uh, is it an ongoing process? If it's an ongoing process, what kind of information do you need during that process, and what kind of um, uh, issues would you like? How would you address the various issues that would crop up? That that kind of thing. Perfect. So, we'll check out. I'll throw that one over to you uh, first of all. Uh, sure. So, so as as you said, Abhishek, this 
uh, evolving uh, development practice is, is is rather continuous process and 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 what's happening we we're growing from from small very agile team with uh, limited processes and documentation we're transitioning into one which which is sort of more organized space uh, and 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 i can see there are two major risks and and which we need to sort of keep in balance one is that the process and documentation practices uh, could could be close to non-existence in this this situation may lead to fast but as you said inconsistent project delivery potentially post release issues bugs and uh, and on top of this you have only limited numbers of experts who can actually resolve those problems on uh, the other risk is uh, you sort of introduce all those rigorous rules with tons of documentation and procedures to follow very early. And and that would reduce team productivity also. It directly attempts to sort of unify how could, uh, could, could directly attempts to unify how the team uh, teams operate and that could limit their autonomy and actually demotivate individuals who, who may not agree with those those procedures. Uh, so in my opinion, the best practice, the, the, the best, uh, the best way forward is, um, that the practices and procedures should, uh, should be implemented on demand when, when the need presents itself, as I said, the introduction of those processes too early may just, uh, hinder the team's productivity. I would like to hear from the other guys as well, what they think about the subject. Perfect. So Joel, uh, what, what would your thoughts on that be? Yeah. I, and I, what you're saying there about the addition of process. I've always thought about as you grow, you need to add more process because communication becomes harder. And so if you add more process, it needs to be to communicate better. If process is getting in the way of you communicating, take it away. Um, it's amazing what teams can do with sticky notes and a whiteboard. You don't necessarily need Jira set up, you know, other tools are available um, to get that communication going. It, it just has to flow really naturally. And that's why we adopt things like uh, you know, DevOps, Scrum teams that are small units like that. To, to come back around to the original question, I've I thought about this myself. Like, if you started a startup today, being a good engineer and knowing what you know, you could avoid so many problems by choosing good software engineering practices, disposable code, and other things from an early start. I think the reality is that I'm probably not the kind of person who would make a good startup founder or employee. Um, I like structure and organization. I like rigor. And when you are in a startup, um, uh, you are just trying to get to the end of the day, make some money and keep going into tomorrow. Uh, and quite often that speed to market aspect of your code production is just paramount. We need to get it out. And it's a small product of a small team. So it breaks. Well, we work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We'll just jump on it. We'll push something to production in order to fix it. Um, I do think I have, I've worked different companies in the past, some of which you know, have lasted for eight, nine years before really adding any quality processes or even controlling who can push things into a production system. That's probably too long <laughs> um, that the, the system was in, you know, is in a bad state at that point. You're starting to risk your existing contracts, your annual recurring revenue with your customers. So yeah, it, you do have to feel it out as you go. But exactly as we said before, layering that in um, in response to to the needs of the company, the issues that come up, sounds perfectly logical. It's just if it were me, I'd get it done earlier. Perfect. And, and finally, Oliver, what would you, uh, your thoughts be? Yeah, I think all good points. Uh, 
you know it's almost impossible to say when during a company's lifestyle you should put in those those um new processes or new procedures or whatever um i think the the point that you should be having retrospectives right and, and not just at a engineering team level but at a higher level where you look get to the end of an initiative or something and you go let's have a retro on this that's where you might come up with like you know what that process isn't working very well that weekly status report takes too long that, that that's going to be a useful thing to do and i think there are two main drivers um that will change the way that you're looking at processes one is external pressures so needing longer road longer longer roadmaps you know making promises to sales or marketing who need to know a few months ahead what you're going to be releasing rather than sort of next week when you're iterating fast as a startup you're going to have to put these promises in and you're going to have to change some of the ways you're working to get there um and also bigger teams right so you've got three people in a team everybody knows what's going on with the feature everybody's reviewing each other's code reviews you step up to six seven eight engineers you're, you're going to need more more documentation you're going to need more processes to keep the knowledge sharing going maybe you adapt your pr review process to make sure it's rotating amongst the team but those are the two main drivers that i see there perfect so there was something you mentioned there joel just in terms of sort of where, where any startup and say if you were just to start one today um you said that you might not be the, the best person for it but i just wondered what perhaps in in your previous experience or any of your other guys previous experience perhaps some of the mistakes that that you may have made at that point you know in the very early phase what are some of the most common common mistakes do you think that, that are made and and sort of how, how they could be avoided i know a lot of people that, that will listen will you know senior developers perhaps they have that kind of ambition to get into maybe running something on their own so what would be kind of the the piece of advice in terms of maybe the one thing they could avoid it's been really interesting going through that that journey as a software engineer where you start out by writing really simplistic code and you probably build a bit of a monolith up and then you discover all these patterns and principles and ways that you could do it better so you bring in all your solid principles you start in in injecting your dependencies you start writing tests for things and then you break everything up and everything goes into its own repositories and you use uh, package managers to bring it all back together and you use services to break everything apart and then you become older and wiser and you start writing simple code again and bringing lots of stuff back together and building small monoliths and, th- and it goes in a full cycle you can only really learn by doing these things and making those mistakes yourselves to learn when you need to um uh leverage really deep engineering practices versus just writing a line of code in a way that could be thrown away later on um and that ultimately i think is the one piece of wisdom i would take away to any new engineers or any startup potentials is people who build monoliths a monolith is something you need to care for forevermore like a beloved pet um in service orientation you have this concept of cattle over kittens well if one of them gets ill just kill it off and buy another one um, and the more that you can make your code and your product disposable like you can just oh this part doesn't work that's fine i'll just throw it away and replace it with something else that is providing you with a really good platform to build potentially a large company on top of and the quality of your code matters less when you can simply throw it away at the end good point so, so what i'm taking away from that and what i'll get to in a second is um uh, essentially there's there's a kind of balance uh that needs to be struck like at the startup phase where you've got this uh, you you've got a scrappy team doing things quickly uh, addressing uh client uh, requests very quickly and then you at that scale up stage you've got the more processes um uh, going on obviously this this sort of transition is not uh you know just a sudden flip switch and 
uh, anything of that sort. So um, uh, one one of the challenges that I've or, uh, that I've faced um, when uh, it, trying to convince people that there's a change required because um, you know. Uh, there's, there's more, when you're when you're trying to introduce changes, there's more than one people, person involved, and at that point you have to try and convince people that there is a problem to be solved. Um, and um, uh, so one of the challenges you go and say, hey, there's a problem here, etc., um, etc., et uh, and we need to do something about it. And the response is, but uh, you know everything's going going fine. All the uh, client bugs are getting addressed. Uh, everything's being addressed. Code's being written quickly. We don't need to change. Um, but what 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 we're missing at that point is the the kind of tracking that we need. So um, I, I guess my answer is trying to get to um, uh, in a roundabout ways. Uh, to, to start with, at some point you kind of have to realize that ideally early on you need to uh, under uh, you need to start um, deciding what kind of KPIs you want to track. And this could be anything that's really simple because it, you don't want to go out of your way to get information otherwise. Um, you're just not going to do it. So it could be anything like bug requests, uh, bugs being created, uh, how much, how much, how like feature delays. Um, it could be number of client requests coming in if that number is growing. Uh, could be how many times you have to reboot the server a week, um, and uh, and start start environment. I've actually seen that happen, which was an interesting one as well. Um, uh, tracking the, those KPIs will very quickly give you a way to build some longer term goals. Um, as to where you're trying to get to, which then you can use, uh, you can use small um, changes uh, as and as and when you spot a problem to actually go in and um, uh, sort of work towards your goals, um, to the, towards the longer term goals as well. Um, and obviously, like regular regular reviewing KPIs sort of helps us spot problems earlier and you know avoid major headaches as we as we go along as well. Um, so that that kind of that, that like my yeah, that that would be my most important point, and that that's that was one of the turning points for me uh, when trying to convince the rest of the business that hey, we kind of need a change. Um, and there were many changes at that point that came through. So we we gradually started uh, adopting Scrum, um, uh, and I, again, I say gradually because uh, there's many aspects to it. Just suddenly, just going yeah, we're we're going to do the Scrum right away. It's just going to send alarm bells ringing everywhere. So we're Start start slow with that process, and then the other things is actually being adaptive to what the business needs, rather than coming in with like here's a fixed process, and this is uh, this is what we're going to do. Um, so uh, one of the things I'm particularly proud of is um, uh, we so we were we had this issue where um, uh, features were still being delayed, and uh, uh, a lot of bug bugs like the number of bugs coming in was starting to increase. Clients were getting annoyed; they were not getting their bug fixes and their the little feature requests. And um, the rest of the, uh, the, the rest of the business getting annoyed that that the larger features were not getting worked on, and we're sort of falling behind uh, and all of that uh, as well. So what we ended up doing was we actually created two streams. Even though we've got a really small team, we ended up creating two streams. One is where the main feature work work uh, continues on, uh, and you have that just follows the regular Scrum process, sprints, and everything. And you have a second stream where one developer cycles in every six weeks, um, and that works on more of a Kanban approach, with more of a Kanban approach, even though we go through two-week plannings to make sure knowledge is shared. Um, and uh, it allows last-minute bug requests and other things to come in, and it stops the the core work stream from being interrupted with these little little things coming in. And it was really, really effective. It's, like it's something we've been doing for the last, um, like, since the beginning of the year, and it's been really effective. So it's uh, that sort of stuff uh, that I got, like, you know, uh, to form that balance there. Perfect. Thank you very much. 
Um, and then we'll move on to Oliver, which was your question. Um, so you wanted to know what are the biggest challenges uh, as you will grow into a scale up? Um, so just wanted to get perhaps some of your experience with, you know, with, with those challenges perhaps and what are your thoughts and, and what you're hoping to gain from asking that question. Sure. Yeah. I think, um, as you go from a startup to scale up, there are lots of challenges. So the, the intention of the question is to really perhaps get some experience from, from the people on the call here to talk about what was the big challenge where you were, um, cause it may be different at different places, you know, different cultures have different, uh, challenges when, when they do this kind of scale up. Um, I think, uh, the biggest challenge while I was at Hopin was that we shifted from a startup focused on innovation, new features, et cetera, et cetera, to, to quality because we started chasing enterprise customers. And that's almost a complete switch from like rapid innovation, slightly unstable platform, but with lots of cool new features to know we're an enterprise customer. It has to work hundred percent of the time. We don't care about the bells and whistles. We just want the basic stuff to work. Um, so yeah, just, just interested to hear from the team, their experiences there. Perfect. So Joel, I'll ask yourself first. Yeah. Um, uh, system stability is a note that I made on your question earlier on, actually non-functionals as a whole actually are something that people don't necessarily concern themselves with customers very much do um, you may only provide a single api all they care is that it's available uh, they don't really care that how it works behind the scenes or anything else um, and getting people to focus on that and the other quality aspects that you mentioned that is always always a challenge um, but actually there's something something else that i've found has been very impactful when not done well at other companies and it's actually outside of the things that we here have an influence over there are other roles that we need to work extraordinarily well in a start in a scale-up environment that often don't perhaps because these disciplines don't have quite the level of maturity or quite so many experts in uh, product management customer success management those sorts of things when we work with really good product managers, really good CSMs, the impact on what we can do with customers and for customers has been radically different than when we've had people who have sort of fallen into those roles or perhaps thought that it was a, uh, you know, some of the people we mentioned before who didn't really have a place coming from the startup, like, oh, I'll be the head of product now. And all the rigor has to go into being a good head of product is missing from that too. So in the old garbage in, garbage out uh, analogy, it's sometimes very difficult for us to build the right product without the right guidance. And I've also found that to be difficult and a challenging thing for head of engineering to be able to influence. Perfect. Um, Wojciech, I'm just keen to get your thoughts. Yes, I would like to um, totally agree with the guys that, that there is a lot of problems. Uh, I would like to focus on one of them, and, and this problem is uh, is with bringing talents to the business. Because the nature of startup business is that the this business is small. The the startup are by nature quite small, so for that reason they are not yet recognizable. So the good candidate would hesitate to join a known business uh, if they would have a choice. They would uh, probably prefer uh, to work for for the big recognizable name. And the other aspect of, of, of mass hiring creates a question of how to maintain the company culture and um, how to maintain this productivity and agility of the small team while growing to the large one. And uh, um, as a small uh, startup, the, the visionary founder or founders 
directly engage and know all the employees, share the vision, passion, motivate people and individuals directly. So that that's that's sort of one big family. And now in the scale up environment, that responsibility is delegated to the middle management. And this presents quite a big risk uh, of, on one hand, we, we can have homegrown managers who are very good at motivating, keeping the culture and leadership vision intact, but, but lacking wider business experience as those may, as you guys mentioned, those, those, those guys may, uh, may have their first or, or second position, uh, in their career. Um, and on, on the other hand, the external managers can, can bring that innovation, good practices, new processes, but may not necessarily be aligned with the vision and culture and, and may struggle with this decision-making. And, and probably the mixture of both is, is probably best solution uh, for that problem that, that sort of to, to keep the culture and, uh, and protect the culture while, while inject that innovation from the new hires. Um, that, that would be my sort of uh, recent sort of problems which I've seen uh, in, in, in the growing to scale up. But I think even on our, on our end, in terms of recruitment, I think we can kind of relate because a lot of the people that we work with, a lot of the clients that we work with are startups and and one such issue they have is that at that point they are so keen to build a culture that it's, it's a case of wanting people that are, are kind of fully brought in and willing to come in. Whereas obviously now over the past few years, you know, there's been a kind of remote working revolution. Everybody wants to work from home all the time. So it is difficult to get kind of senior developers and, and people of a high standard into these companies purely because they're going to want them to come in maybe three three to five times a week um whereas these people can probably go down the road and into a more established company fully remote you know don't have to leave the house and and uh and probably even get paid a little bit more money as well um so it's it's a difficult one on that side of things and that's certainly something that, that we come across and, and joel if you just wanted to come in there yeah i was just wondering Wojciech, you obviously like working in this type of environment, uh, in this transitional state, probably as I do, uh, how do you go about selling that opportunity to engineers when you want to bring talented staff on board? Uh, I think I think the aspect of showing the passion that you have the passion and you share this vision to people quite often quite often is the, is the winning factor because quite often, especially those those high caliber. Uh, developers or good individuals, they they very much depend on this individual approach. They don't have this in in big corporation. In big corporation, they they are just somebody say yes, somebody say no, and 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 they are a bit in the puzzle. They they reading some I don't know articles about the business. They go into the glass door to find out about the business, but nobody would really add that much to take a phone and call them and say. Hey, how, how how are you doing? How 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 is your decision making? Look, we we really want you there. I think you know meeting the engineering team. So so you would meet the people who you're working with. You would meet the engineering manager. So um, so this is what we can offer because we we are not big business. So we can easily do it. We can go uh, walk you around the person around the office. We can show that we have a gym. We have the bar there so we can we can enjoy and, and there's a lot of social activity so a lot of people um searching for for something more meaningful than that just just a job and 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 just to pay the bill that they, they want to be part of something and and we're trying to do to to present and to encourage people to to join us in in that journey and be part of it and and i think that's quite often working not always but quite often working well 
for us. I'd imagine having the the bar in the office as well is always a, a pretty straightforward. It's a, it's a win, yes. Yeah. It's absolute, absolutely a, a magnet uh, for some, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, and Abhishek, your, your thoughts? Uh, mine's uh, actually quite similar to what Jake. Um, so I focus a bit uh, particularly on the, the team culture side of things. Um, and uh, just like... Uh, I guess one of the challenges is sort of maintaining the healthy team culture or or changing the team team culture when the uh, when the team's actually growing. I've seen two scenarios happen where in one case uh, there was already a healthy team culture, it was a small team, but the team grew and then that actually got diluted and then sort of started getting a little bit uh, less healthy, uh, which then left uh, resulted in a loss of the experienced staff. And then I've seen the other side where uh, it was an already toxic culture which came in would not change. Uh, and um, it, all the new staff who kept leaving and all they en- ended up with was just those veterans who were around and you had a, a, a lot of attrition of new people. Um, I don't quite know. I, I mean, this is an open question to you guys, really. Um, I don't quite know how to solve that, um, as in I've never been in a situation where I've had to personally solve that sort of thing. So I was just like, you know, wondering what your thoughts are. Like, is, is that maintaining a certain culture or completely changing a culture as a team grows? Like, how would you guys see that happening i think uh, to be honest you can do this at a slightly more macro level i guess so you know at a startup you've got your visionary um uh, startup founder and he's you know carrying everyone with him and like you say as you scale you don't necessarily get that dialogue i mean you probably get it going down but you don't get it going back up again and that's really where your middle management's task is to one sort of sell that vision and, and make sure that everyone's on board but also probably come up with their own vision for the team right to, to, to keep that to create a little minor culture inside and so that's where i think you can maybe step outside a little bit the company culture if it's perhaps toxic like perhaps you can create a better culture within your team um have the team come up with a culture you know what do we want to do what are our priorities is it is it shifting code is it quality um i think that's really powerful and perhaps one way that you you don't have to fight the system you can sort of work with the system but adapt it to your needs yeah, and i'd uh, re- recently done a, a talk sort of on personal growth and promotion as part of that we went through and thought about all the patterns and principles values and things that people have it stemmed from a question that one of my scrum coaches had which was well how do the scrum co- scrum values and the agile values and the devops values and the company's leadership values and the company's external how do all of these interact with each other and which ones take precedence um, and exactly as, as as Oliver's saying, like there's some things that are just relevant, complementary to us in what we are doing. Um, it's very difficult to tell someone what their culture is. Much easier to ask them. Uh, and generally, I found that if you ask a, a broader engineering team, what are the kind of things that you really value, regardless of what kind of background they come from, they'll be the same sorts of things. Like. Uh, I like innovation. Um, I like quality. I don't want things to be broken. Uh, I do want things to be fast, uh, so on and so forth. That gives people a great deal of investment in the formulation of any new set of values or any new culture that they're going to develop because things are going to have to change for them. can't continue as they are, but the core values will stay the same. So getting them involved in the formulation of that is a very powerful thing we can do. Perfect. Uh, and then we will move on to the final question, which was yours, Wojciech. Um, you wanted to know what are the key ingredients of a successful transition from startup into scale-up? Um, so, Oliver, I'll, I'll ask yourself first. 
Yeah, sure. We, we've covered, I think, a, f- a few of these in different topics. But, you know, if I run through my checklist, ensuring your culture isn't lost, right? Like you've, you've got a, you had a culture to start with, you, you're going to keep it. It might adapt, it might change a little bit. But as you hire new people, you've got to tell them what the culture is uh, and then work with them and sort of find out what it means to them. Does it fit? You know, any adjustments perhaps that you need at a team level. Um, obviously, having appropriate processes uh, at the right time, continuous introspection is going to help you like make sure that you have that kind of level of, of, of things. Um, and yeah, ensuring that new teams have their own vision, right? Their own North Star, because you, you no longer have a, a single vision for all the teams. You probably need to scale that up to across your departments, across your teams. Um, finally, documentation and knowledge sharing, right? That that's bound to be something that needs to to change uh, in some ways. Perfect. And uh, Abhishek? Um, so uh, I just picked two of my favorite uh, uh, points for that answer because there's, there's obviously so many. Um, so the first one is identifying simple achievable goals based on real data. Um, just makes the communication much simpler and everything. Uh, and the second one is patience. Um, uh, I've seen more often than not that uh, like people are very ready to abandon a well-laid-out plan just because they haven't seen results in three months or they don't know how to track the results and they're, they're going by by the gut feel or something. Um, and uh, it, it's, yeah, uh, I, I find that just uh, keeping an eye on that thing, letting things uh, sort of lay out uh, is, is quite important as well. And Joel, yourself as well, please. Uh, I love your point on on KPIs as well, and there are so many things we can measure. What do you, um, Dora metrics? Uh, one useful thing that I got in the past from a CTO was to boil everything down to money. So we used to measure our capex and opex across teams. How much money did we mean to spend versus how much did we spend we didn't have to? And suddenly we found that we had a way of talking about our technical debt in pounds and pence that meant that board level people could understand it. Um, but a couple of really practical things that I always look for straight out the gate are tests. We don't never have enough tests. People don't prioritize the test-driven approaches. It's a very low-level engineering thing, but it's a good way with some good measurements to start building a quality-first approach and getting some long-term ownership around bits of the platform into individual teams can help with that. And um, I'm going to loop all the way back around to the very first thing I said uh, at the beginning of the podcast, um, which is you've got to invest in the people. So career paths are always the thing I start working on the first day that I turn up at a new company because we rarely ever have them. They're rarely structured. They rarely cover all roles. And I try to lay out career paths from junior roles all the way up to the leaders of the business because I've always found that ultimately, no matter how much influence and how many good ideas we have as leaders all the change in a business comes from the people on the ground doing the work if they're personally incentivized as part of their career growth to be better better engineers better project managers better product owners um etc etc better quality engineers they will make a lot of the changes in the moments that we need them to have and what we can give them for that is well-structured career paths there's some great resources available out there for anybody to get started on these things as well. Um, I can't remember the name of the framework on the top of my head now, but uh, some fantastic resources to to be able to lean on. So in terms of the, the kind of career path and the structure you take on that, is it, say, for a junior developer wanting, wanting to progress, is there kind of, do you have set targets in place for this person to achieve, you know, once they've 
they've done X amount of work or or if you set them some goals, is it is it that straightforward or or is it more you would, would kind of look at them and, and your personal opinion kind of when you think that that they've done enough and when you think they're ready to move ahead? It, it, is it just down to you or is it, you know, hit this target and this is what you'll get to? I think you can probably bring us all back for the next podcast where we can talk about personal progression. Um, but no, I, I want people to be in control of their own destiny. So provide them with some objective things that they can say, I'm doing this consistently and that matches this level. Make sure they're reviewed regularly. I tend to do every six months. They have personal objectives to grow themselves. They can take their career development at any pace they like. I've worked with people before who stayed senior engineers for years because that's where they're comfortable versus people who are like, I want to climb this ladder as fast as I can. And you you ideally want that to be meritorious. This is your, these are your objectives. This is your feedback on it. This is my feedback as your mentor, as your manager. This is the 360 feedback that people you work with. You're meeting the level of expectation there. Hey, you've promoted yourself. Have some money. Um, idealistically, that's how it should work. And the more influence we can have over the way that people are grown inside the business, the better outcomes we'll see for the initiatives that we want to have. Perfect. And, and why check yourself? I know, uh, obviously, your question. So what are your kind of experiences with this and, and, uh, and your personal opinions? Yes, I, I asked this question in first place because uh, I, I used to work for big businesses and, and just recently um, you know, jo- joined a business which is rapidly growing. And uh, But on, on top of this, this question, I, I just would like to add one thing which uh, which maybe maybe uh, has been touched a little bit uh, but maybe not uh, explicitly is is to you know on that journey of growth where we are extremely busy with all the projects and and kpis to just don't forget about celebrating all those wins which we have on on the way because each time we finish the project or achieve that kpi we should celebrate if 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 that's getting lost and sometimes it's getting lost because you know there's another project, there's another thing. You know, it's this is this sort of motivation is it may get get lower and it may deflate people a little bit. But if if those wins are properly celebrated, celebrated people on top of their career progression, they they feel good. They feel good about coming to the office. They feel good about pushing hard on the project. They feel good about delivering those projects because they know that there would be some kind of recognition, some kind of party, something something about it that. that it would make make them feel good and give them motivation for another one. Absolutely, no. I, I think that's something even relatable to to kind of the industry that, that we're in. Um, you know, it's, it's not always straightforward in, in our particular position. And those small wins, I think you do need them. You know, you need to focus on them. I think to, like you said, there keep morale high. Um, you know, I think if you can celebrate those small wins, it inevitably leads into to bigger wins coming. Um, you know, I think those two things just go perfectly hand in hand, but. Yeah, that, that was amazing, guys. Thank you so much. Obviously, I know we've run through all the questions now. I don't know if there was anything else that you know anybody thought of while while we were talking. Anybody else wanted to mention? Or yeah, there's there's so much that you have to deal with through this transitional phase. Um, like I said, for me, it always comes back to if we take care of the people, the other things will take care of themselves. Um, ultimately, any of these businesses are people businesses. Uh, and I always thought as a software engineer that I'd be able to come up with a solution to every single problem using technology. And pretty quickly, you realize that most of the problems that we have related to technology are really people problems. 
Um, and that's where I've invested a lot of my time over the past few years. Perfect. Well, look, guys, it's, it's been really great having you all on. I really appreciate um, your your contribution and, and most of all your time. Uh, I know taking time out of busy schedule, so I really do appreciate it. Um, so that that was today's Evolution Exchange podcast. Um, again, massive thanks to all of our guests for joining us today and, and sharing their views with us. Um, we'd like to thank you also for listening, uh, and hopefully you can join us again next time.